CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to the hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward, that's Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley, Wendy O. We get you up to speed on the news, hopefully have a little fun while doing it. That's the plan. Let's do this thing. Wendy, I think you have the first story of the day. I toss it to you. Okay, I had to do the cringy YouTuber face. So if you guys are listening to this podcast, make sure to watch the actual video. You had to see the face. So Sam Bankman-Fried pleads not guilty to fraud and conspiracy charges. He doesn't have to go back to court, I believe, until October 2nd of 2023. So basically, he is free for approximately 10 months to do whatever is he's going to do. So just because he pled not guilty doesn't mean he is, in fact, actually not guilty. Most people plead not guilty anyways. Not a legal finance or not a legal expert or anything like that, but that's just what I've seen in the TV and stuff like that. But again, we're talking back about the names that were going to be remain secret for now from the other two people that posted bond as well. That's important to note. But since Jen's back and I miss her, I really, really, really would like to get your take on this story. I missed you too, Wendy. One day away from you guys. And I just like had to come running back. Love you guys. Well, I think it's not surprising, right? Sam Bankman Freed went on this PR tour. He kept saying, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. For him to plead guilty, I think would have been a surprise. What I'm interested to see in October is, you know, we have the new CEO of FTX, John J. Ray III. We have Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang who have taken plea deals. These people probably have a lot of evidence against Sam Bankman-Fried that would say that, you know, he maybe was a little bit guilty. And so I'm interested to see what evidence comes out. I'm, I'm a little bit saddened that we have to wait until October for this to happen. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to be at his parents' house over there in California all the way until October you know, living probably a pretty cushy life. And so I just, I don't, I don't know how this is gonna, how this is gonna turn out given all of the evidence that we've already seen come out against him. But Zach, what do you think? Season two, baby. It's shaping up to be a good one. We have 10 months of craziness that's gonna unfold. What if Sam starts tweeting again? What if he starts trying to make things right with his users? What is gonna happen? He's probably talking to all sorts of people. 
reporters, anyone out there still trying to get his story out to the masses. I am captivated. We have 10 months of potential chaos that's going to unfold before this guy gets hauled back into court. And then season three kicks off in earnest with the court proceedings. I don't know, man. This thing, I thought it was going to be boring by now, honestly. But given that we have some interesting intrigue that's developing, who are the secret signers of the bond? What is he going to do for the next 10 months? (laughs) How did he lose all that weight? It's all shaping up to be compelling, interesting, (laughs) intriguing. That's my take. I'm tossing it to Will. Yeah, this is definitely going to turn into an awesome season two. The one thing I want to add to your list there, Zach, is the fact that there's been some movement of funds out of Alameda Research. There's been some liquidations of Bitcoin into different cryptocurrencies. And that's been pretty fascinating to watch because we'd assume that a lot of these keys would be held by FTX or held by the trustees of FTX, rather, or held by law enforcement agencies, whether in the Bahamas or in the US itself. But these funds have been moving around a little bit and people have been kind of noting when Sam Bankman-Fried is available to use the internet and when he's tweeting and when these funds are moving and asking some questions. And then yesterday in court, we saw that indeed the prosecutors asked to make sure that Sam Bankman-Fried did not have the availability to move any sort of funds. He denied it on Twitter that he has moved any funds at all since he's been arrested and since he has been released on bail. But it's still confusing that these funds are moving around and that the prosecutor would double down on the fact that he should not be able to move funds. So we have that as additional intrigue. From a top level, I would say that it's unlikely he has the ability to move anything unless he memorized some seed phrases and people didn't move their keys around. But it does add like another level of mystery to this whole story. Wendy, I want to throw the story back up to you though. I was just actually researching the whole Bitfinex hack. You guys remember that really adorable couple, the rappers or the, the lady in the bathtub? I was Razzle just researching Razzle. to see... Razzle John. <laughs> That was a banger, right? Say it at once. So yeah. good. <laughs> that was a banger. I was actually just researching to see what the what the conditions of the bail is because if I remember correctly, again, this is not confirmed because the article is really long. But I was just looking to see if the conditions of their bail were different because I believe they weren't allowed to have internet access, but Sam is allowed to have internet access, and that's a little bit problematic because all of the fraud and the all of the things that he allegedly committed were done on the internet. And as you all know, it's very easy to say oh, I was in a boating accident or I don't have access to this wallet anymore, et cetera. It's very hard to prove. So yeah, I'll jump in on that because I I would love for the Twitter spaces to end. Like that's my personal opinion. Like I would love (laughs) for Sam Bakerfree to get off the Twitter spaces. They're just horrific. And I do think that there could be some intrigue involved with all this, right? Do you remember Sushi Swap and the mysterious chef? uh, Chef Wow, I'm blanking his name right now. Chef Nami, there he goes. Zach's here for the assist. Chef Nami was possibly Sam Bankman-Fried or people have alleged that might be him. What if he makes a return over this period because SBF has internet access? I agree with you, Wendy. I think we need to yank his internet keys. Zach, back up to you. Yeah, it kind of speaks to like the whole degree of like anonymity in crypto, right? Or pseudonymity at least, where people can operate in Web3 without being attached to their real identities. What if this becomes the subplot of season two where SBF starts assuming all these other identities, right? This could be something as long as the internet traffic is not monitored too stringently. Maybe he'll be out here like he could like, you know, just spin up new characters. Remember, remember, <laughs> Do Kwan was once Rick Sanchez trying to start Basis Cash way back when, and that was only unearthed by some hardcore reporting some years later. So there could be some schemes afoot. Who knows? Let's speculate some more. Jen, what do you schemes got? Schemes afoot. Sorry, I just, just want to know why <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers, his parents who are lawyers, 
have not told him to stop this. And is he not listening to them? Like, I would want to, I just want to be a fly on the wall to the conversations that are happening behind the scenes. Why is this behavior being allowed? I want to know. We may never know. But let's turn from this disaster <laughs> towards another one and talk about Genesis, which is still having issues with drawing funds for customers. Genesis Trading and Lending uh, stopped issuing withdrawals to its customers back in November, citing liquidity issues. Uh, Genesis is owned by DCG, which is also the parent company of Coindesk. Ever since this happened in November, a lot of different firms have been asking for their money back from Genesis, including Gemini, which has a pretty impressive retail program for credit card rewards and other rewards based on your crypto. $900 million is locked up in that fund. And recently, the Winklevi twins have been asking for their money back from DCG, writing this open letter to Barry Silbert, the CEO of DCG, which owns Genesis entirely, saying, hey, we need our money back. Barry shot back earlier over this weekend saying, hey, we do have the money. We're making payments on everything. This letter is a little inappropriate. Zach, this was sort of like a battle between two titans or two giants in the space that played out on Twitter. A lot of the times you see these kind of playing out with lawyers behind doors and not on Twitter. So this was some fresh popcorn for everyone on crypto Twitter. Want to get your take on it. Tis the way. Tis the way of crypto. This is definitely probably not the way that many crypto observers wanted to see 2023 start. This is a pretty high stakes feud with some pretty big money at stake here. This is $900 million of customer funds that are locked up because Genesis was used by Gemini. I always get those two brand names. They're too similar. Just like, they need to change that. Anyway, Gemini <laughs> used Genesis it's to not your fault. provide yield to its customers who were using Gemini, similarly to how you would use a savings account in a bank, right? Where you get some quote unquote interest on your crypto holdings through Gemini Earn, which was powered by Genesis. So anyway, big money at stake, big characters at stake here in the crypto world. And I think it's uh, interesting to see the Winklevi and Barry here because we always seem to reduce things to singular people rather than the entities that they helm. <laughs> going to have some sort of Twitter spat about whether or not this is going to get resolved anytime soon. So yeah, these things take a long time. I think the fact that Genesis hasn't been forced into bankruptcy suggests that maybe things aren't that bad, right? That was a possibility uh, going back a couple months ago that it could have been on the brink of having to file for bankruptcy protection. The fact that they are able to continue with some of the other business units to keep those going while this gets sorted out is potentially a good sign for Barry's DCG empire. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see uh, should the Winklevi up the pressure and change things materially for how this gets resolved. Who knows? We're just gonna have to wait and see. Wendy, I think I saw your hand, but Jen, I also want to get you on the board. So duke it out. I just have a silly take with this one. Seeing Barry and the Winklevi twins bicker on Twitter like this, could you imagine like Wells Fargo and JP Morgan going head to head on Twitter.com on a, I think, was it a Sunday or was it, it was a holiday? It was a Monday, right? That this played out. Mm -hmm. But can yes. you imagine? Because that, that's really right. what the comparison is here. We've got two massive forces in the space going head to head. And I don't know how you can say crypto isn't transparent. We are literally watching this stuff play out in real time. You would never see this happen in traditional finance. JP, like Jamie Diamond, he would never. Jamie Diamond would never. Come on, Jamie. I'd love to see it. Get your Twitter really fingers out. Come on, let's see this thing. <laughs> Kermit the Frog. I want to give the CEO, the Genesis CEO, the benefit of the doubt, right? So I think it's fair to say that he is in a tricky position. And if he were to rush, 
and do something and make the incorrect decision, then we would be on here saying like, why did he move so quickly? Why didn't he just tell us that he needs more time to figure out the, the complexities of how this is going, how this is going to unfold? I think it was yesterday I was reading an article in Decrypt that also said three Gemini users are filing a class action lawsuit against DCG and Gemini? Genesis? Hold on, let me just... And Genesis. And so I think that like when you have class action lawsuits, lawsuits, which asterisks, anyone can um, launch a class action lawsuit. So, you know, we'll wait to see what happens there. But when you have class action lawsuits coming at you, you have people coming at you from every different direction. I think it's fair to say we need to pause a moment here and figure out what's going on. So I don't think it's a bad thing that the CEO has said, you know, I just need to figure out what's going on. We're not going to act as quickly as we originally said we were. Well, Nahash's legal counsel, Jensen Assey, everyone. Thanks for the, the top down <laughs> view there. Appreciate it. Uh, the one thing I do want to bring up a little bit more, though, is going back to November, Genesis did say at the time that they had enough assets to back all their outstanding loans, all their outstanding liabilities. The issue was liquidity. That being said, a lot of people are not sure they believe that because if you look back at the history of Genesis and the originations of its loans, there are some really big questions you have to answer. The most important one goes back to May of 2022, where we saw Luna explode. And right before that happened, Genesis was involved with an over-the-counter trade between 1 billion Bitcoin and 1 billion UST, which UST then went down to zero. So you have to ask yourself, was Genesis properly hedged when they made that swap, when they basically allowed 1 billion Bitcoin to go out the door and they were sitting on a pile of nothing? We don't really know. We have a lot of questions around that. Also, at the same time, uh, there's a leadership shuffle within Genesis where the former CEO left, a lot of the former C-suite left, and now we have a new interim CEO who's actually handling all this. So I think there's a few questions that we still have outstanding. Zach, just like what you said, though, there is some, it hasn't been answered quickly as much as uh, FTX went exploded in the night, right? This has really been a slow simmer. And I think people are starting to not get uneasy about it, but they are starting to ask a little more questions since this is taking so long, sort of flipping what you said originally. I think the longer this goes on, the more questions I have as opposed to less questions. But we can leave it there. Zach, boot back up to you. Is no news good news here? Don't know. We just don't know. You can take it either way. No news could be good news. No news could be cause for greater concern. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Hash. We are heading off to New York to talk about a settlement. So in a settlement with the New York State Department of Financial Services, Coinbase will pay $50 million to settle charges that it let users open accounts without sufficient background checks. The settlement also requires Coinbase to invest $50 million over the next two years to bolster its compliance program, bringing the total settlement to $100 million. Regulators found that the exchange's policies were in violation of anti-money laundering 
laws. Now, this has been going on for a bunch of years. I think that they started the investigation in 2017. There's been a little bit of back and forth, and the investigation officially opened again in 2021. Will, I think I saw your hand go up. So what do you make of this? Yeah, I actually want to boot the question back to you as our legal expert. How do they decide what the penalty is going to be for these things? Because every time we see something like this, it's a huge figure in the millions of dollars. And I'm like, how did they get that calculation, right? Because you would think that'd be based on basically the loss of customer funds or maybe some sort of like, yeah, there there has to be some sort of math behind this, right? But oftentimes I just see a figure settlement and it seems to be very arbitrary. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, Will, that's a great question, and I don't have any answers for you on that. Mm. It would seem that the numbers are being pulled out of thin air, especially when we look at a lot of these settlements with crypto companies. They haven't released any of the numbers. It doesn't seem like there's any math behind it. I can tell you that the compliance program that they're supposed to have at Coinbase is supposed to prevent drug traffickers, sellers of child pornography, and other potential lawbreakers from opening accounts on the exchange. Like I said, back in 2017, the regulator found that Coinbase wasn't being compliant when it came to background checks for customer accounts. And I think they said they had 100,000 accounts that were in the backlog that they weren't following up on quick enough. So there's a 100,000 number there. I don't know how they got to 100 million. Zach, maybe you have some answers for us. I bet they took one number and multiplied it by another number. And then they got so smart. that big number. And then they split it in half. And they said, half fine, half fix it. Let's do this thing. And they said, all right, we'll settle. Done. That could be regular. I have no idea. I am not a legal expert. I bet expert, that's exactly what lawyer. happened. I've never even been to one class I at thought they just school, threw darts at the wall. Unlike some people at this panel. No, I don't know. I don't know how it is. I mean, I think what this is, though, broadly speaking, this is the ghost of cycles past. You see this with crypto, right? Mm. It moves faster than the regulatory apparatus <laughs> often does. Whether it's criminal proceedings or whether it's, I guess, I guess what here would be sort of a lapse of established practices at an earlier stage of this company. Oftentimes it takes two, three, four, five years sometimes for these things to get resolved. So a lot of the stuff that we saw from the past ICO boom was slowly, the book was kind of closed on that in the last year or so. Even some of that stuff is still out there, right? Some of that stuff is still being figured out. There's going to be plenty of stuff from this cycle, this past bull cycle, that will be resolved in the courts in two, three, four years' time. I think that's the reality of the crypto markets, whether that is sort of like legal arbitrage or some sort of word like that. I don't know, but it is something that has proven true in crypto for the past few cycles where it takes longer for things to get worked out in the regulatory and legal spheres than it does in the technical innovation cycles as they relate to crypto itself. So anyway, this one takes us back, it takes us back to an earlier version of Coinbase. And now we're getting this big news. But the markets, as we just saw, reacted positively to it, rewarding coin shares with a little bump in price. Wendy, I'm going to toss it to you. Again, Regulators are so lazy. Like we had issues with KYC with this Coinbase thing from a while back, and now they're just coming out with the resolution. Can you imagine if they actually did their job and put in some sort of protections to make these systems do better things? Like it's just very, very frustrating to me. And again, we're going to continue to see stuff like this happening because I feel like they're living in the past or let regulators just refuse to kind of get with the present times. Like if you were to put out some sort of concise regulation or just something, we wouldn't have had these problems. Also, too. Coinbase is known for not having great customer support. Like they're the one of the largest cryptocurrency companies or um, services in the US. Everybody uses them. I just still don't understand why they don't hire enough people to kind of do the proper due diligence and do things that need to be done. 
And again, I believe they did partner with ICE recently in the last couple of years to help with this type of stuff. So it's very interesting to see them get fined, but they're also working with government entities as well. Well, yeah, the, the thing that I want to keep going back to is the fine here. And that because this is probably the most interesting part of it. Like, yes, KYC is known. Yes, you should be abiding by it if you're in the United States because you are uh, using U.S. citizens as your customers. But the fine here is always confusing to me. And I'm going to bring in some other fines in history that don't really necessarily correlate with the story, but I think are informative about the cryptocurrency industry in general and how regulators think about it. The biggest one being with Block One or EOS back in the day that got slapped down with, I think it was like a $27 million fine after they raised about $4 billion in Bitcoin. A lot of people looked at that and were like, this is wildly unfair. You guys got a tiny percent of a fine based on the huge amount of capital that you've raised and have never deployed into a successful company. Everything they've tried to launch has basically sputtered and failed. A lot of their core team has then left the team. And that Bitcoin's actually still just sitting there accruing a lot of money for people who are not using it for anything. And from an SEC standpoint, which again, SEC, New York State, very different entities, but still finds crypto. I think still same sort of pathway we're walking here. I think people looked at that and are like, this is really unfair. And then you look at Coinbase and they just didn't process KYC correctly a few years ago. And now they're getting slapped with a $50 million fine. On top of that, have to put $50 million into figuring out how to improve their KYC process. And that's just one example. There's many examples throughout crypto's history where some companies have skated through with just a slap on the wrist. I mean, Kraken recently was, I think they settled with uh, the DOJ for operating with Iranian customers and they got a very tiny fine on top of them. And then you look at some other companies, they get entirely shuttered. To me, it just seems like they don't really have a general rule or a general standard. And then crypto companies are the ones who have to play Russian roulette here. They're going to throw it over to Jen though and get your take on the story. Okay, I'm going to go super quick because I know we need to move on to the next story. I do want to say in the, in the story, they referenced one instance where Coinbase unwittingly helped someone steal $150 million from a company by claiming to be an employee of that company and the proper background check wasn't made. I don't know exactly what happened in this instance, but that's what, they are, what they're citing. And I just want to reiterate, Wendy, to your point, you know, we have these large settlements, $50 million going to the regulator. I would love to see them use the resources they get from these settlements to actually build out processes, hire people to help them understand so that this doesn't continue to happen. And we just keep seeing these large settlements and nothing come from them. And that is the end of my rant. And we can move on to the last story, Zach. All right, I'll take it. Let's go and talk about a company called Wire. Wire is a crypto payments firm and they are shutting down. That's first reported by Brady Dale over at Axios.com. Later on, after the story was published under that headline, it was changed to crypto firm Wire winding down after failed bolt deal. This was a company that was once valued at $1.5 billion, was on the precipice of getting acquired by Bolt, which is another payments company. And now, after crypto winter itself, CEO of Wire is saying that they are going to unwind the business over the next couple of weeks. This is what we see in crypto winter. We see these companies who draw down, like some of the bigger coins in the market. 90% drawdowns are not uncommon. Similar story here with this company. Major drawdown, not able to maintain operations. They're shutting down. They're going to pack it up and move on to the next thing. I'm going to toss it to Will for his thoughts. Wire was about to be a promising story on the acquisition front. That didn't ultimately materialize a few months ago, and now they're out of it. What do you think? Yeah, I won't speak to Wire as much, but I will speak to like SPACs and acquisitions and mergers that didn't happen. And I think you laid it out nicely in the last piece, right? The 
the ghost of cycles past here, we see that a lot of these companies have the ability to really become big, lasting brands within crypto, but the timing is not quite right. They don't raise that round. They don't close that merger. They don't get that SPAC done right in time. The market changes so fast. And then all of a sudden, you lose your customer base, you lose your recurring revenue, and you don't have a treasury that's robust enough to get it through three, four-year cycles like crypto sees, and you're done. And you have to let everyone go. And it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. There's a lot of instances in the last cycle, in 2017, 2018, where this occurred. And we're seeing it right now in 2021, 2022 cycle, where a lot of these companies that raised a lot of money, they spent it on a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising, they spent it on adding new employees to their team, and they really didn't have the customer base to be able to get through a three to four year cycle. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who come into the space and get burnt really quickly because that's how crypto works. If we had a nice price chart right now of Bitcoin, you would see that every few months this past year in 2022, we saw a sharp sell in the Bitcoin price about every three or four months. It's very flat for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it drops by about $5,000. Like, there we go. Nice little price chart. And it's very hard as a business to build on top of an asset that is so volatile like that. You know, and all of a sudden you lose a fifth of the, the price of something that you're bringing in the door. Pretty hard to build on top of that. So that's why you see a lot of these companies go under. It's unfortunate. Best of luck to everyone at the team who's moving on to different jobs. To be honest, Zach, I think this is just a pretty common story within crypto, just like you said. Wendy, up to you. Bear market stuff, guys. Hopefully next cycle, we see companies do a little bit better at planning. One of the ideas I actually had, I think was back in 2018, is hiring technical analysis to kind of help companies that don't trade, that are just providing services or altcoins, whatever that is. But to kind of give a prediction of when we can expect a bear market to come based on the previous four-year cycle that Bitcoin does, um, that is still in play until proven otherwise. But I feel like that would be a little bit healthy to do for all companies to kind of put in some sort of financial projections like, hey, we're probably going to be getting into the bear market around this year, this time, approximately like a year window. So let's probably start you know, scaling back and managing things differently. That's just my opinion, Jen. Wouldn't that be nice, Wendy? I mean, okay, I took something totally different away from this. It's how they handled this layoff. They made the announcement over the Christmas holidays via email. Employees were mad talking about it on LinkedIn. I think this is so bad for the company. I know the company may be going under now. So bad for the company, so bad for the executives. I think we should learn from this and in how we handle layoffs. Sometimes they're inevitable, but we can handle them better. Zach? That's it for the show today. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.